Al, it's time to talk about a very infamous game. Mm-hmm. That people either really love or really hate. Yep. <laughs> There's really no just like middle ground here. No. So you're on one side of the fence or you're on the other. I mean, unless you consider us, we might be middle ground. I don't know. Depends on what you think about it. Maybe. I feel like that would make the most. It would make the most sense compared to the other two, I guess. Yeah, like it's not the greatest game we've ever played, but it's not the no. worst game we've ever played either. No. It's kind of a middle ground. Yes. But uh, you know, sometimes, sometimes that doesn't happen. We are yes. unusual. We are very unusual. That is, that is true, and that's for sure. <laughs> Hello, welcome to this week's episode of the Seasonal Anime Checkup OVA. It's a podcast where we have conversations about video games, anime, and manga. Hello, I'm Jared, joined as always by Doc Al and Ladium. Hello. This is episode number 270. And we're going to talk about Shenmue. Shenmue! <laughs> the first game in the Shenmue series. Uh-huh. We played through it together. We did. We uh we played through the re-release, not the original Dreamcast version. Yeah, that would be, be a little hard. bit more tougher. Yeah. But uh basically still the same game for the most part. Like we mentioned, uh a lot of people are there's big fans of this game and there are people who are like this game is god awful trash. <laughs> <laughs> It's just one way or the other. It's it's a very weird game that introduced a lot of systems that, you know, people just weren't really sure how to take at the time. Mm-hmm. Like, I think nowadays people are more understanding of it, but at the time it was very memed upon because of the systems it was giving out and just how, essentially, it's a Japanese adventure game under the guise of a quasi-open world game. Yes. As open world did you really got in what nineteen ninety nine? Nineteen ninety nine, yeah. So it's like a lot of people are just like, I don't, I don't get this. What is this? How does how does this work? And that kind of opinion still permeates to this day in some cases. Mm-hmm. So it was interesting to go into this because like I have very little experience with this game. Yeah, I outside didn't. of like seeing people's opinions about it and all that sort of stuff. That's all I've really seen is like opinions and memes. Mm -hmm. And other than that, I didn't really know a whole lot about it. So we were like, let's let's go into this. Uh, this game originally came out on the Dreamcast in Japan on December 29th, 1999. And then a year later in North America and Europe on November 8th, 2000 and December 1st, 2000 respectively. And then a re-release version with Shenmue 2 came out on PC, Xbox One, and PlayStation 4 on August 21st, 2018, and in Japan on November 22nd, 2018. So this game is, this game's old. This game's going to be 23 years old this year. Wow. This is, If you want to feel old. Getting to be the point where, like, they're going to graduate from the point where I would be teaching them. It's true. Yeah, that's... Wild and very funny. Uh, <laughs> this game, of course, infamously made by Yu Suzuki, who had made you know Virtual Fighter, Outrun, those very famous Sega arcade games. Mm -hmm. You know, he was he was the head of Sega AM2 at the time, or like one of the big heads at it. Uh, other notable people who worked on this game, okay, especially as composers, uh, Takenobu Mitsuyoshi, who you might know as the guy who did the Daytona USA theme. Daytona. That song in particular. Uh, also was a composer on this game, Yuzo Koshiro, who did like the Act Razor uh, soundtrack and also does things with Corone. What? <laughs> oh, yeah. is he that one? Yes. Okay, okay, okay. I know what you're talking about now. Uh, and also who a person who worked as director and producer on this game won Toshihiro Nagoshi, who would go on to work on such games as, you know, the Yakuza series. The Yakuza series, which, like, woo, you can definitely feel that influence. Yes. Uh, also, he, he did an interview at some point recently talking about his time on Shenmue. Oh, did he? Which I will pull some quotes here from. He 
He said he was a supervisor on the team at first, and as the project progressed, as you know, it had become bigger and bigger, and I couldn't put up with it anymore. <laughs> it was one of the turning points <laughs> in my career. <laughs> he was like, I talked to you, Suzuki. I want my own development division. And they're like, sure, you can do it. <laughs> but then the CEO was like, hey, we need to get this game out. you got to come back and help <laughs> us finish this game. <laughs> And then he ended uh, up making Yakuza, which was even bigger than this. Well, he went on to make Monkey Ball and then Yakuza. <laughs> yeah, you know, that career trajectory. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Interesting little turn of events there. But, yeah, as you said, like, there's obviously a an influence here that, like, you know, you can see the, the trajectory of the path that, like, this game gives you and then you get to the Yakuza series later on. Yeah, totally. So yeah, some interesting notable names on this project. But let's let's dive into the development history of this game because it is weird to say the least. I am not surprised by that, honestly. Mm -hmm. So yeah, Yu Suzuki is the you know the person who made this game. He joined Sega in 1983, made a bunch of arcade games, but he also wanted to make like a long game, let's say, not an arcade experience. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where this idea of his comes about um sega am2 built a prototype sega saturn game in sometime when the sega saturn was happening yeah called the old man in the peach tree which was about a young man taro seeking a martial arts grandmaster in 1950s luiang china taro brings an old man a peach in exchange for information about the grandmaster and at the end of the game the man skillfully skillfully skips stones across water to hunt fish revealing that he is the grandmaster wait you can skip stones to hunt fish Apparently. Isn't that it? Wouldn't that just be fishing and not hunting fish? I don't. Don't ask me. Don't ask the Wikipedia writers. Okay. Okay. Uh, in 1996, AM2 began developing a 3D Saturn RPG with the working title Guppy. <laughs> this became Virtual Fighter RPG Akira Story, an RPG starring the Virtual Fighter character Akira. AMT planned a cinematic approach, including voice acting and elaborate combat sequences. Suzuki researched locations in China and constructed four acts with the themes Sadness, Fight, Departure, and Starting Afresh. In this version of the story, Akira would overcome his grief following his father's death, travel to China, defeat an antagonist, and begin a new journey with a friend. Suzuki Wait recruited... a minute. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Suzuki recruited a screenwriter, a playwright, and film directors to write the multi-part story, which IGN described as a revenge epic in the, traditional... in the tradition of Chinese cinema. In 1997, development moved to Sega's upcoming console, the Dreamcast. In 1998, Sega of America Vice President Bernie Stolar told Next Generation, I can't tell you what Suzuki-san is working on. Let's just say that I've seen the project and it's going to rock the gaming world. The same year, to better market the game as a Dreamcast killer app, the Virtual Fighter connection was dropped and Suzuki announced the, the working title of Project Berkeley. In November, Sega announced that Shenmue was so unique it belonged to a new genre it termed Full Reactive Eyes Entertainment or Free. <laughs> That title's still stupid. <laughs> so good. <laughs> Full reactive eyes entertainment. It's a free game. It's a free game. Yeah. By the time of the Dreamcast release in Japan in November 1998, the game had been titled Shenmue. I still don't know what that means. There's a screenshot on Wikipedia that is from when it was still the Virtual Party RPG on on Saturn. Mm -hmm. And this is basically just the the harbor. And oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Rio. And then that's uh, the the toupee man. The Gui, whatever his name is. Gui Zhang? The, the toupee man. That's that's just that. <laughs> that's just that, yeah. Yeah, that's what that is. Including the, like, outfit. Mm-hmm. It's wild. Uh, AM2 focused on developing the game world, creating a large open environment with minigames and subquests. The setting is modeled on Dobuita in Yokosuka, Japan, the term or the team worked with interior decorators to design more than 1,200 rooms and locations, and oh created over 300 characters with their own names, personalities, and relationships. Some modeled on Sega employees with detailed clay models as animation references. Meteorological records of 1986 Yokosuka were used to create algorithmically generated weather and day and night cycles. <laughs> Cutscenes are rendered in real time without full motion video, and motion capture was used to capture the movements of Budo, a Japanese martial art experts. To fit the material onto a manageable number of discs, AMT developed a new type of data compression. So they wild, were wild. They have to like create a new type of compression just to fit your game on discs. Yeah, 
Um, but yeah, the meteorological records thing, like that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I think that you know the three hundred characters with their own names, personalities, and relationships. It's a little debatable whether they have personalities. Or if like all of that made it into the game. Correct. So they were they were definitely going into uncharted territories. But they were say. like shooting for the moon here. Like mm-hmm. that's legit. Yeah, definitely. Uh, in 1999, AM2 focused on fixing bugs, finding hundreds each day. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. At the time, there were no bug tracking systems, so the team tracked bugs with Excel spreadsheets. At one point, they had tracked over 10,000 unresolved bugs. Oh my god, with an Excel spreadsheet? You gotta do what you gotta do. On one occasion, oh, several non-paleo characters became trapped in the convenience store where they had gone as part of their scripted routines. <laughs> Suzuki's solution was to widen the store's door. <laughs> Everybody wants to go to Tomato Mart. It's true. The product placement of Coca-Cola and Timex brands also created problems as the companies had strict specifications for their implementation. Suzuki said the biggest challenge was management with over 300 staff and no experience of large projects. Which I guess is why they had to get um, Nagoshi back and be like, hey, can you, can you help us fix this game and get it out there? We are in dire straits. We need help real bad. Oh, no. Oh, man. According to the localizer Jeremy Blostein, how big did that? I just yeah. saw an interview with him. Yeah. Oh. Anyway, he's pretty cool. Shenmue's English localization was fraught with problems, exacerbated by the project scale. At Suzuki's insistence, the English voices were recorded in Japan, which greatly restricted the casting. Oh. Blostein. Yeah. Blostein said we hired basically every single English-speaking person that exists in Japan and calls themselves a voice actor. <laughs> The scripts were translated by several people, creating consistency problems, and arrived late, leaving no time for rewrites or proper direction. You know, that explains, uh, what's his name, Mark at the yeah. at the harbor? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that explains a lot. Shenmue became the most expensive game ever developed at the time, reported to have cost Sega $70 million. Oof. In 2011, Suzuki said the figure was close to $47 million, including marketing. Development also covered some of Shenmue 2, which was completed for a smaller amount, and groundwork for future Shenmue games. Now let's let's see how that compares today <laughs> in terms of what is the most expensive game that's out there. You know, we got uh Star Citizen, which is not a game, that's just a, a grift. Yep. Uh Cyberpunk is second. With a development cost of 174 million. Uh Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2, Final Fantasy 7, Halo 2, Destiny, Shadow of the Tomb Raider, Dead Space 2, Grand Theft Auto 4, and then Shenmue. Wow. Final Fantasy 7 or Final Fantasy 7 Remake? Original FF7. Wow. This basically uses like, this this uh, chart of theirs on Wikipedia uses like development and marketing if it's both together. And oh, then they also sense. use that for like, how is this in terms of like inflation? Yeah. So like Final Fantasy 7 apparently was 80 to 145 million and that's 129 to 234 million dollars two years ago. Shinmu was forty-seven to seventy, and that's seventy-three to one hundred nine million dollars today. So yeah, still, still up there in terms of high, uh, high-costing games, as you would say. Yeah, that's crazy. So it, so yeah, they, like you said, they were ambitious. They were shooting for the moon, and somehow they made it all come together and put it out. But also, they had to promote it and release it. So let's see how they did that. <laughs> I'm still just amazed by the whole English-speaking voice acting thing. It makes a lot of sense. It makes so much sense. They must have got, like, the worst booth that they could have gotten, considering how the audio quality sounds. (laughs) Everybody sounds like they're just speaking through, like, ten cups. It's true. (laughs) Oh, boy. Uh, On November 27, 1998, Sega released the Dreamcast in Japan. Launch game Virtual Fighter 3TB, also directed by Suzuki, included a preview disc of Shinmu featuring FMV scenes and an interview with Suzuki, but no gameplay footage. On December 20th, 1998, Sega unveiled Shinmu at a conference in the Yokohama International Assembly Hall and demonstrated its clock, weather, and quick time event systems. Fans could watch the conference online, which is very surprising for 1998. Yeah, wow. Wow. Initial reactions were positive, with Edge saying it could be one of the most ambitious and important video game endeavors of the decade. However, the QuickTime events angered some fans who had assumed the game would only use Virtual Fighter-style battles. Huh. Huh. 
Sega announced a Japanese release for the second quarter of 1999. At the Tokyo Game Show in March 1999, Sega announced that Shenmue would span multiple games and allow the public to play the first game for the first time. At a Japanese consumer show on May 3rd, 1999, Sega demonstrated the facial animation and announced the non-playable characters would have their own daily routines. Later that month, Sega showed Shenmue in America for the first time at the 1999 Game Developers Conference, and it was playable the following week at the E3 Trade Fair in Los Angeles. Well. At a Japanese consumer conference on June 1st, 1999, Sega announced a Shenmue promotion to coincide with a Dreamcast price drop. Sega dis distributed a limited edition video, What's Shenmue?, with Dreamcast <laughs> consoles and games, and a playable demo from August 1st. The spoof demo has Ryo search a small area of Yokosuka for Sega, then managing... For Sega, then managing director Hidekazu Yukawa. <laughs> All right. All right. On June 22nd, Sega announced a Shenmue subway tour showing playable demos at Japanese train stations that August. <laughs> All right. Wow. NHK spent six months with the development team and broadcast a making of documentary about the game before its release. I wonder if that's like out there anywhere. Yeah, I'd be interested to see that. Uh, and Sega released the game on December 29th, 1999 in Japan, November 2000 in North America, and December 1st, 2000 in Europe. Uh, and then sales-wise, it sold 260,000 copies in its first week. It eventually sold 1.2 million copies, became the Dreamcast's fourth best-selling games of all time. However, its sales did not cover its <laughs> development costs and analysis considered it a major commercial failure. It followed years of declining profits for Sega and contributed to Sega's exit from the game console market. Uh, US Gamer wrote that though Shenmue's sales would have been a success for most games, only an impossible number of sales would have seen Shenmue turn a profit. It's like when Square... <laughs> puts out a game and then they're like yeah this game didn't meet our uh, our sales projections which was like a billion copies yep shucks uh, according to games radar every dreamcast owner would have needed to buy shenmue twice for it to turn a profit <laughs> and so ironically it probably did as much to kill a dreamcast as it did to cement its reputation wow the Shenmue localizer Jeremy Blostein likened the failure to the epic 1980 film heaven's gate which went drastically over budget and was a commercial failure Suzuki was coming off of huge past successes and was and, and he was the man. And so this was going to be the thing. And everyone wanted a piece of that $70 million, you know. And of course, that's like the worst thing you could do is to start out, out a project saying we've got all this money and then just keep throwing more money at it. Peter Moore, then president of Sega of America, said Shenmue sold extremely well but could not make a profit due to the Dreamcast's limited install base. Dreamcast engineer Hideki Sato defended Shenmue as an investment which will someday be recouped because the lessons learned during development could be applied to other games, which is true. Not wrong. But didn't help the Dreamcast. <laughs> it just would, you know, be something that people would learn from years down the line. Right. <laughs> uh, critically, it holds an 89% on game rankings. Of the uh, review scores that uh, Wikipedia highlights, like the only ones that are like, you would think are kind of like lower than average are Game Informer 6 out of 10, mm -hmm. and that's basically it. Like, everything else is at least, like, a high 7 to an 8 or a 9. Mm -hmm. So, like, it's not like this was getting bad reviews at the time. No. And, like, this says critics praise its graphics. Like, it really does look pretty dang good. Mm -hmm. Like, even now, like, it's obviously you know aged but it it looks pretty good especially compared to stuff that came out around that time otherwise but yeah like i'm still mind blown by the whole idea of like hey let's put in this like meteorological information for funsies and mark the voice actor for mark i wonder how like i'm assuming the uh the re-releases probably got worse scores because you know as time has gone on, people are, have been less nice to this game, let's say. Yeah, that's that's a good way to put it. Let's see here. Uh, on Metacritic, it has a 75 for the, the dual pack. Really? So I guess it's not terrible. It's better than what I would have expected. There's also, you know, there's some not so great reviews here and there of it so um the pc version has something if i could clicks a 76 and the xbox one version 
has a 72. So, like, I mean, that's probably what you would kind of expect. In all honesty. Mm-hmm. Um, this also mentions how, like, this game was very influential in terms of, like, you know, QTEs becoming a big thing later on down the road. Uh, open world games becoming more of a thing later on down the road. So, all I mean, that's, that's true. Mm-hmm. Very true. Um, also, Suzuki planned Shenmue to cover at least four games. Shenmue 2 developed simultaneously with Shenmue was released in 2001 in Europe, in Japan and Europe and 2002 in North America. It was also a commercial failure. Whoops. And then Shenmue 3 entered a period of development hell lasting over a decade. <laughs> in 2004, Sega announced an MMORPG for PC set in the Shenmue world, Shenmue Online, but it was never released. And then 2010, Sega announced another spinoff, Shenmue City, a social game for the Yahoo Mobage mobile service. It was shut oh down my God. in late 2011. Oh my God. In September 2011, Suzuki left Sega to focus on his development team, EaseNet. At the E3 conference on June 15, 2015, he announced a Kickstarter for Shenmue 3. Uh, the campaign reached its initial 2 million goal in just under 9 hours. And on July 17, 2015, it became the fastest funded and highest funded video game project in Kickstarter history, earning $6.3 million. And then Shenmue 3 eventually came out. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Uh, here's a bit of stuff on the ports. Uh, a remake of Shenmue and Shenmue 2 featuring new models, textures, and lighting was canceled in 2017 following technical problems. On April 21st, 2018, Sega released high-definition ports of Shenmue and Shenmue 2 for Windows PC or Windows PS4 and Xbox One. The ports inclu- include new graphics and control options, improved user interfaces, and Japanese English voices. Some details, such as product placement, are omitted, and cutscenes are presented in their original aspect ratio due to technical limitations. Uh, the ports were released in Japan on November 22nd, 2018, and de- debuted at number 4 on the Japanese charts with 37,529 retail sales on PS4. They remained among the top 20 best-selling games in Japan until December 2nd, 2018, having sold almost 45,000 copies. So yeah, like, people still really like these games, you know, 20 years after the fact, even... Like, obviously, I think probably the, the Japanese... I wonder... I guess I don't know, because, like... When you think of it in terms of, like, over here, mm-hmm. it is a very memed-upon game. Yes. You know, it's very divisive in terms of how people view it and all that sort of stuff. Considering, like, it was still selling really well in Japan when they put out the the re-releases, I would guess, like, you know, there's still a big, prominent fan base of it over there. Mm-hmm. But I don't know, like, how, like, if it has that same kind of divisive opinions that it has over here over there that's a good question i do like the thing though that people were mad that there was qtes and they're like oh, i just want virtual fighter gameplay what's this <laughs> yeah that's wild that's very funny um so yeah all of that out of the way uh they're also making an anime that which is airing right now mm-hmm. um we played through this game and I think if you look at this game as, you know, what it's supposed to be, which is, you know, it's a Japanese adventure game with virtual fighter combat mechanics, you'll come to understand it better. And I think if you play with it, play through it with a guide, you'll have a better time than if you try and do it by yourself, if we're being honest. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, some of those triggers, I don't know how you would ever find them. It's very obtuse, but, like, that's just the way, like, those kinds of games were. Right. Especially, you know, 15 years prior when Japanese adventure games were, like, starting up and all that sort of stuff. Like, very obtuse mechanics, very obtuse, you know, puzzle solving and all that sort of stuff. And that's kind of just what this game kind of feeds off of, is that aspect of that genre. It it apparently does, um, which we didn't run into this because I had a guide pulled up. Um, but it apparently does give you hints if you're just like completely struggling to figure it out. Right. Like somebody will tell you like, hey, have you done this? Or like you'll get a phone call or something like that. Like they don't completely leave you on your own. But and they give you a significant amount of time to get through it. Because mm-hmm. I think it's like December to April. Yeah. In game. Um, but like we finished it, I think, before we even finished December um thanks guide but yeah it was there were some things i was like whoa i have no idea how you would figure this out unless you were just like wandering and playing (laughs) taking notes wandering around playing it multiple times like 
I can't even imagine. Yeah. There are definitely parts of this game that I don't think have aged particularly well. But there are parts of it that I think have. Like you said, like the the visuals all look really well. Yeah, they look really, really good. I mean, especially like, like Yeah, like Dreamcast games still look pretty good. Like that was one of the, the big big things about that console is that like, you know, it didn't look like muddy, weird, pixely stuff like the the PS one, the N sixty four and the Saturn had. Mm-hmm. Like this is what, you know, games was gonna start to look like, you know, with the PS two onwards. Right. So like all those games still look really good even to this day. Mm-hmm. Um and that's very adamant in these these re-releases for sure. Um, I think honestly, if like you took this game and you put it out like fifteen years later, mm-hmm. I think people would be more like receptive to it than they are. I think so too. Yeah, because like obviously a lot of games like by that time were using just all of the mechanics that had come out of this game. Like there, you know, there's. At the time, you like the the quote unquote walking simulators were like it's more monotonous gameplay in terms of like you know you're just going around doing stuff and that's mm-hmm. definitely a thing in here. QTEs were definitely a thing, even though like they've definitely outworn their welcome, let's say. But yeah. like you know, people were used to them by this point. Um, the combat probably could have been done better, but like it's it's essentially it's the virtual fighter engine that they're using, right? So like if you like that kind of if you like that game, like you're probably gonna you know like the the fighting mechanics in this per se um and then i think walking around is probably one of the the other powers that could have done better which they kind of it's like tanky controls a little bit Mm -hmm. in terms of how you move around it's just a little sluggish but like you know if you would put this out years later like obviously that would have been fine-tuned to make it a lot better but then there's a lot of other stuff like you know going around just like hanging out with people going and buying stuff going and playing games yeah like like, all that stuff that you would have in, like, Yakuza games is very present in this. Yep. That people really love. Yep. Like, all that stuff is in here. It's just, you know, it was done before a lot of people had ever experienced it. This was their first ever experience for it, so they just didn't know really what to expect or how to react to it. hmm So, it's a very, just, it's an interesting game. Like, there's no, no way you can describe it other than that very interesting it is very ambitious and the fact that they are able to pull it off is very you know just surprising it's impressive it's very impressive like i don't think they necessarily succeeded at every spot but i don't think they necessarily failed at every spot no it's it's a it's a wild case study because like i said you could see how Inflated budgets would become a thing later in the years that followed. Yep. Teams getting real big and being like, uh, <laughs> what are we doing here? Like, there's so many things that you can point back to with this game in particular that influenced or basically became like a prediction of trends that would follow in the years to come. Right. That's just very wild that you would think just one singular game would do. Especially this game, of all things. Right. Considering just how how much of a joke it kind of became, like, after, like, Shenmue 2. Mm-hmm. Because, like, I, I, don't, I don't remember, I don't know, I guess, to say how much you watched of, like, video game stuff on TV, but, like, you know, I feel like I remember so many, like, weird skits on, like, X-Play of them just making fun of, the, of Shenmue 2. And it was just like, just because, oh, it's, it's funny. He just goes around asking people where sailors are. What a weird, wacky game. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> Japanese games are weird type of deal. Yeah. And, like, nowadays, like, everyone would just be like, oh, yeah, that's just a that's a game mechanic. Whatever. Who cares? <laughs> right. Like, that's that's the thing we do now. That's the thing we do now. So, yeah, like I, I, like I said, I think you put this out in the mid-2010s, it has a different, like... People come to this thing differently. But also, I don't know if people remember it as well as they would if it came out later. No, I don't think so. Like, like it, it would just be, a, like, another, like, Japanese adventure game that came out in the 2010s. Everyone's like, yeah, that was cool, but, you know, whatever. Like, it would not be as infamous. It's a very double-edged sword here where, like, do you take it where it comes out early and it becomes this very divis- divisive thing and people love it or hate it, or does it come out later and people are more receptive to it, but also it just doesn't become as memorable. 
Right. This game's wild. <laughs> it is very wild. That's that's the key takeaway. This game's wild. I can go in and just turn off all the lights in my house. Why? Just because. Why not? Why not? With people in the room, even. You can <laughs> yeah. turn the light off on them. Stop wasting electricity. <laughs> you can examine your, your living dude's piggy bank and... You can check out your your pictures in your drawer and go hang out in your squatter toilet. Mm-hmm. No idea where we shower. Why would you want to do that? Why not? Why not? Why go not? Go give a cat tofu. <laughs> Look, that was a mistake. It was not my fault. <laughs> Don't blame me. <laughs> you you still gave the cat tofu and Tried to name it Sasuke. Yeah, it was a cool name. <laughs> and the girl's like, no, it's a boy's name. Like, well, just got bad names, apparently. I think it ended up being called Mimi. Yeah. Mm. Then it just disappeared. Yeah. Rip. You fed it, though. You probably gave it the poops every day because you gave it milk, but you had to hydrate it, so. It's the only thing I could give it. I know. I know. You got to hydrate the kid. Not like I'm going to give it soda. No, you can't give it soda. That'd be weird. I'd rather you give uh, it milk and it have runny poops than you give it soda. Yeah, he doesn't want. To, we don't want this kitty to burp. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think story wise, this game is kind of just it's fine. But if but if you look at it in terms of like what Yu Suzuki was trying to do in terms of like you know this is the beginning of a longer story he's trying to tell. Yeah, it can make sense. Yeah. I will say that I think it's very, it's not necessarily bold, but it is uh, an interesting idea that they present you with this antagonist of Landy, mm-hmm. who murders your father right in front of you. Yeah. And then you never fight him for the rest of the game. Nope. <laughs> he just like disappears. You don't even really see him. Like you'll see him in some flashbacks, but you don't actually see him as a person at all. Until like the end of the game. Yeah. So, like, I think that's a interesting strategy, especially because, like, you look at how this game was developed and all that sort of stuff, the, the history of it, how, like, they had to come together really at the end to, like, make it come together. Yeah. And, like, having that be your story. And, I mean, also, they were developing Shinmu 2 at the same time, obviously. So, like, they knew they were going to make a sequel. Mm-hmm. I guess, like, you know, there could have been a, a, a thing where if this game flops. Like, they could have just been like, all right, we're canceling development of this. So, right. sucks to suck. But also just be like, hey, here's this antagonist. We're not, you're not going to do anything with him for this entire game. Like, well, go ahead. I was going to say, there's also the fact that, like, you see the, like, deuteragonist from later games in, like, a dream at one point, And that's literally all you see of her. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, who's that gal? Shrug shoulders, don't know. Like, it's very... It's, all right. It's definitely storytelling that, like, at the time you would not have really seen. Right. Of them being just so bold to be like, yeah, we're, we're setting things up for a sequel. And doing all this stuff. And there's like, huh? Huh? <laughs> huh? Um, Which I guess also, um, conversely, like, this is a very cinematic game. Mm-hmm. In a way that a lot of games at the time were not cinematic. Right. So, like, that really set this game apart from, like, literally everything else that was coming out. Like, what else was really cinematic at a time besides, like, Metal Gear Solid? That's basically it? Maybe a few handful of games here and there, but, like, not in terms of, like, big releases were, like, things, like, trying to be as, like, cinematic and narrative-focused as, like, this was. I mean, you've got, like, the Final Fantasy games at this point. Yeah, but I don't know if they're, like, they're necessarily, like, like shot, like, cinematography-wise, like, that they're trying to, like, do it, like, kind of, like, a movie or something like that, like, the way this is. Mm. Like, I, you could definitely go with that as well, but, like, they go for it in here, like, I think way more than they would in, like, what Square was doing, per se. Yeah, I was just thinking of, like, Squall in the car. That's pretty yeah, dang cinematic. Yes, but, like, I think as well, like, they saved a lot of those for, like, their FMV 
Yes, they did. Cutscenes, whereas yes, this kind of like was able to go in and out because they just used the same engine. Yep. No, so I that agree. made it made it a little bit more. But like, like I said, like outside of maybe like you know the Final Fantasy cutscenes, Metal Gear Solid was kind of doing the same thing. But like, there really wasn't much else that was kind of doing this at the time. It's it's pretty unique in that sense, mm-hmm. and um, I don't know, man. Like, you know, who doesn't love a good revenge story? Yeah. But then it's I true. I don't even think it even like ends with a revenge story, does it? No. Like, <laughs> <laughs> You're getting like the beginning of the revenge story here. Like the end of this is just you going off to like, okay, I'm going to I'm going to go find him and get my revenge. Oh no, I mean like the actual series that we have so far. Like, oh yeah, I, I don't it, know. I, I think it veers even further off of the revenge story from that, but like yeah, we I, we get no revenge in the first game. We get All right, cool. We got a ticket. Let's go. I mean, there was like the some Yu Suzuki quote that was like the first two games were like the first like three or four parts out of a 12-part story that he was he wanted to create with Shenmu. Oh my god. So like, yeah, he was he's been wild in for a while. <laughs> Man. You know what they should have done? What's that? It wouldn't have worked because it wouldn't have done what he wanted it to do, but should have just like let him do like a spirits within type thing and tell his story. I mean, I wonder if that's what they're kind of trying to do with the anime. Maybe. Because like if he's thinking that there are that many parts and we've only gotten three games in like 20 something years, we're not getting that full story ever. Unless he releases it in, like, a movie or a book. I mean, there's already been Shinmu the movie. Well, does it have, like, the full story? It was just a compilation of the first game's cutscenes. <laughs> Great. Uh, <laughs> so, again, like, unless we're actually going, like, if we want the full story of this, like, he's going to have to, like, either speed it up or think of something alternate here on how we how we make this happen. Yeah, I know that quote I think came out before 3. Yeah. So I don't know like exactly where things leave off at 3. Like is he like does he feel satisfied with it or is he thinking like all right, time to make another one of these? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, we'll get to that point eventually when we talk about 3, so we'll eventually yeah. figure that out, but yeah, that's a it's an interesting question. I mean, this whole series I feel like is just like I said, just interesting. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, like it's it's not what I expected. Um, but I was into it. Yeah. And like, I, I appreciate what it was trying to do. Mm-hmm. And like, it's not all bad. No. And I think like, that's the thing that a lot of people just kind of look at when they see the series is that like, they see all the jokes and memes of it and they're just like, oh, it's just bad. Right. And don't really necessarily give it a try, which I think these re-releases do some interest do some good things like, you know. They, uh, they modernize some of the control stuff and make it a little bit easier for you to get around and do all that sort of stuff. Like, there's, like, right stick and camera control, which obviously was not a thing on the Dreamcast. Right. Woo. Which makes it a little bit easier to get around and do all sorts of stuff like that. So, that's a little bit easier. I, I very, I'm very I'm understanding of the people who think, like, the, the forklift stuff is just very monotonous and not what they want. Like, I completely right. understand that. Right. I didn't find it that bad. Like, I thought it was kind of just, like, calming it's calming in the same way that like something like Death Stranding is calming, calming, Ugh. of like, of like you know the the package delivery stuff of just like going from point A to point B and doing that stuff like that gameplay is kind of similar in that aspect, um, which again I would understand why people wouldn't like that. So <laughs> it's one of those things where you know if you don't like it, yeah, I totally get that. But for me, I thought it was like it was okay, you know, just driving around on your forklift, going around beep, beep beep beep, doing that sort of stuff. Like I thought going into it, I would hate it. Yeah. But like, I came we were out making it, jokes about it to begin with. Yeah, but I came out of it being like, oh, this is all right. Yeah. This isn't bad. I mean, we just chatted the whole time while uh, while you were forklifting. Yeah. Like it, I think I think it might have got worse if, like, you weren't following a guide, so, like, you had to do more days and you just had to keep doing that. <laughs> yeah, that would, that's fair. <laughs> I think that's when it would start to get, like, a little way too monotonous. But you know, the way we did it, I think it was fine because we only did like a handful of days of it, and each day was you know a different thing, so it switched it up on you enough to make it not just like the same thing over and over again. 
Mm-hmm. So there is that. Yeah, I think that that helps that we actually like didn't have to just keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing mm-hmm. it. Oof. For sure. I didn't even think about that. Um, we also learned that Rio just does not understand what romance is. Oh my god. That that romance story is... <laughs> Whew. Oh <Something>. boy. <laughs> I love how the guy kept telling us, like, oh, there's a heartwarming scene coming up. And every time we'd come out of it, would be like, huh? Huh? <laughs> was that really heartwarming? <laughs> was it? Yeah, it was awkward. Like... I was an awkward teenager. I get it. But also, like, oh, my God. There were so many things. Like, there was even a scene where she's like, oh, hey, I'm going to confess to you. I really like you. And he's like, I don't know how I feel. And then there's another part where, like, he's talking to her and he's like, you're a really great friend. And she's like, oh. Oh, I gotta go. I gotta go. <laughs> I gotta go help work at the flower shop. See you later. Goodbye. And she's like, I'm gonna go back to Canada. And he's like, oh, okay, cool. And you're like, um... <laughs> I'm going to Hong Kong. <laughs> uh, okay. Like, it, maybe try and stop me from going to Canada. No, no, I'm going to Hong Kong. It's fine. You go to Canada. Have fun. <laughs> it's like, buddy. Dude. <laughs> come on. So bad. Like, oh man, that is, that is not, okay, so I've mentioned this before, probably on the podcast, but I know I've mentioned it to you in person, or I've mentioned it to you in general, and I've mentioned it to other people, but like, I'm pretty oblivious when people like have a thing for me. Mm -hmm. I'm not this level of dumb (laughs) Like, I think. Well, I'm not even gonna say I think. Like she blatantly says, like, I like you, and he's like, Oh huh. okay. okay. So about that revenge, it's like, buddy, 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 come on, come on. Get it together. But yeah, he just oof. That romance is uh Huh. The the funniest part about it is like they very much establish this as a thing. Yeah. And then just write her off. She's going to Canada. Yeah. We got to put a new girl in. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know if that's romance or not, but um, I don't know what's coming next. Also, they write out Tom. It's very sad. Yeah, he had to go to America. Tom, best character of the game. He's pretty good. Except for his like, clown on his, his um, truck. I didn't like that. But yeah, he is always vibing. They showed him in the first episode of the anime, and I was like, all right, good. We, we've got it. Yep. in. Yep. Solid. He's going back to America, though. Where's our Where's our Tom hot dog simulation game? Like, <laughs> honestly, hot dogs. there was a better love story between Tom and Rio than there was. <laughs> because, like, at the end, he's like, well, you're one of my best friends. And then you see, like, the airplane fly away. and like, like, Tom. It, it was it was like a beautiful moment, but that they was... do that cool fist bump, right? That's oh, real good. You get way more of an interaction with them than you do with him and and uh, got it. I forgot her Nozomi. name. Nozomi. Nozomi. Thank you. You're not wrong, honestly. I was like, oh man, what is this? You're not wrong. <laughs> Wild. Yep. Oh man. Oh Tom. Shout out to Tom. And his his gal friend that he didn't get into the harbor. No, she's there the she's there at times as well. Oh, is she? I didn't notice mm-hmm. her. She just shows up at like random times. I think she's like more like there at night. Okay, so she's she's more of a wandering NPC than a I'm gonna vibe by my truck NPC. Yeah, she's just, she's random. Okay, makes sense. But yeah, this game's weird. This game is very weird. Um, all that is to say though, like I'm in, I'm interested to see where it goes. Honestly, I am too. Yeah, <laughs> like I I I really 
I, I'm intrigued. Yeah. I, I, I came away with like a, all right, all right, kind of feeling. Like, wasn't sure I was going to come out with that, but I did. Same. I think this is like, like if you if you can get these games for cheap, which I did, like mm-hmm. you can if they go on sale, like you can get all three of them for cheap. I think the best way to do this though is like play through the first one with a guide, obviously, because yes. it's the way this game is obtuse and everything. It's just gonna make it a, a better experience for you. Yes. Overall, you know, playing through it and everything. Um, I don't know how that goes for two and three per se, because I don't know if they modernize things or anything like that. I, we're probably going to do a guide for two, most likely, considering they developed it at the same time as one. So it's probably going to be something like similar. Mm-hmm. I would assume at least. I don't know how it is for three, but at least for this first one, like just find yourself a guide, play through it, see if you like it, and just like you know, see what you think of old Shenmue. Mm-hmm. See how you feel about forklift racing and revenge and revenge and quote unquote romance. Yes, romance. Romance. We had a better love story with the gotcha machines. That's also true. We got Tails. That's really all that matters. We did get Tails and two Sonics and a Knuckles. We didn't get Super Sonic, though, because we didn't get to win the, the Tomato Mart lottery for him. Mm-mm. We did get, um, like, all of the fighting game characters, like all the Sonic fighting game characters. Yeah. <laughs> That was weird. If you really want to know, if you want that that hot Sonic the Fighters lore, it's in Shinmu with the gacha machines. <laughs> oh man! We got some Eggman. We did get some Eggman. There was something else that there was one that I was like, I think it was a, a meow or something. You were making fun of me about it. Yeah. We also got Alex Kidd, who looked like a character from a monkey ball. Yeah, he looked like a monkey ball character. Monkey That's ball where... wasn't even out at that point, right? <laughs> Nagoshi just saw that that figure they made of Alex Kidd and was like, this looks like I could put it in a capsule and just run it around. What if I made monkey ball? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that kind of, yeah. I'd buy it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, man. And uh, we, we got to... Got to play some arcade games in that. Yeah. Get some tapes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> there was a the one like bald pervert man who you fought in the in the arcade. That guy is just a menace. Yeah, he is. He's like Gollum. <laughs> He's not really explained at all why he is anything like that. No, he's just a dude who just wants to work for Landy and be Gollum. Be Gollum. <laughs> <laughs> Which is that was before those movies even came out, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Shouts out to Shinmu inspiring Gollum. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Hold on. Cuz like the first one was like 01, right? That sounds right. Um I was still living in Tennessee at the time. Let's see. Uh, film series 01, yes. Hilarious. This is the origin of Gollum. Pretty sure. I I mean, there's too much that's similar for it to not been some kind of inspiration, I think. And if not, then they're lying to us. I also believe that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah I, I i'm interested to see where this goes we we have a whole other girl character to just show up at some point we'll see what happens we're going to china yep um we should probably like have the harbor people investigated for hiring a non-licensed high schooler to do forklifts while we're also being like truant and not going to school and also, there's a gang being there and no one caring. Yeah, no one cares that there's a gang there. Is that homeless man that keeps getting beat up? Like, stop beating up the homeless man. There's a, wa- a lot of stuff happening there. Chaos. Chaos. No, that's 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 next month. That is next month. I'm really excited about it. Chaos. I'm really excited about that. I bet yeah. you are. 
Oh, yeah. You are, too. You know it. Yes. That's not wrong. Oh, man. So, yeah. We'll eventually get to, what, Shenmue 2 and 3 at some point. Yeah, we've we've kind of gone on a wild tangent at the moment, so. Yeah, we have. We'll come back to it eventually. <laughs> <laughs> you did this to yourself. I did do this to myself. You're not wrong. And me. Also you. But, uh, <laughs> I'm excited to see where this goes, for I sure. I am, too. I'm legitimately excited, and I, I have the anime episodes recording, and I will eventually catch up on it. Yeah, which huh. we should say, like, that thing is airing right now. I think as as of this recording, there's three episodes out. There'll be four by the time this comes out. Um, it's a more straightforward approach to the game, the first game story per se. Like they cut out a lot of like the side stuff, mm-hmm. and it's just kind of like focusing in on the the actual story of the game, which you know you can take or leave depending on how you feel about how game adaptations in anime are done like that. Right. So that can either be good or bad for you per se, but um. Animation-wise, it seems all right. Nozomi the, doesn't look anything like Nozomi. Yeah, some of the though. character designs are a little weird compared to how like the game is and all that sort of stuff. But like overall, I think it's it's doing a fine job of trying to tell the Shinmu story. And it seems like they're gonna like combine the first and second games together, mm-hmm. at least in this first season. I don't know like how far they're gonna go with it, but that's the way it seems thus far. Um. And they also made the toupee man look less toupee-ish. They did make him less toupee-ish. Also, there was a, they got a gotcha, a gotcha capsule machine figure of Tails in there. And then yeah! Didn't show him, they didn't show him just like sitting there in front of the capsule machine, just turning it for like hours until he got it, which is a shame. <laughs> Big shame, but it showed that he was he was into it and he, he had to show off his Tails. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that they went with Tails. That makes me happy. So yeah, that's that's Shenmue. Shenmue. We'll see Shenmue. how it goes from here on out, where we're going to eventually get back to the series and see what happens. And, you know, maybe there'll be a conclusion someday. I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> Not we will... me. Eventually, we'll see. Mm-hmm. Eventually, we will see. But that's, uh, that's going to do it for this episode, I believe. I think so for sure. So if you'd like more from us, head on over to seasonalanimecheckup.com or sac.cools where you can find past episodes of this podcast and other podcasts like Jared and Al Watch. You can also find columns and reviews on the site as well. If you'd like more from Anladium, go to anladium.com. She's got columns and reviews. You can follow us on Twitter and TikTok at Anime Checkup. You can buy our books, One Shiny Moment, a critical analysis of Love, Life, Sunshine, and Hot Tubs and Pac-Man on Amazon.com. And you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash S-A-C-O-V-A. Buy us a slice of pizza, get access to unedited versions of the podcast early, and a wealth of bonus content as well. Mm-hmm. Next week, we'll talk about something else. Something. Something. Mm.